G'day and welcome to Partakers and to our series, Haha, Heroes and Heretics Abound. We're on part 8, together as we look at the story of the church from its origins through to the age of reasoning in the 18th century. Last time we looked at some of the very critical thinkers of the church, including both heroes and heretics. We also looked very briefly at the councils as the church formulated its thinking in regards to what the gospel is, who Jesus Christ was, and for true doctrine, this was in a bid to counteract the indefatigable rise of heretical teaching, such as Gnosticism and Arianism. Following the death of Constantine, all subsequent emperors of the Roman Empire were at least nominally Christian. That means they are Christian in name, but maybe not so much as in their behaviour. In the last half of the 4th century, the northern borders of the Roman Empire were under intense pressure from invading forces. Pressure from the Vandals, the Huns and the Goths. And eventually, eventually that great city of Rome, the centre, the pinnacle of the Roman Empire, it was plundered in 410 and 455, before finally falling in 476. Some of the major reasons for its fall include this. There was strong pressure from the northern tribes. Within the Roman government there was a great love and passion for luxury, and corruption within the government was rife. There was weak leadership, as Christians tended to avoid public life. We'll come to that soon. And the Western Empire was far less wealthy than the East. And while the Western Empire declined, the Bishop of Rome grew more and more powerful, and Rome became the spiritual centre of the Western Church. And while all this was going on, there was a new movement arising within Christianity. We call this the monastic movement. The word monk derives from the Latin word monachoi, which means people who live alone. So what were some of the reasons for the rise of monasticism? In the 4th century there was a major increase in pagan influence in the church. Many people tried a solitary life as a means of achieving a purer devotion to God without any external pressure. And in both Eastern and Greek thinking, the physical side of life was stressed as being evil and that it was to be suppressed, and inevitably this flowed into Christian thinking. So if that's the reasons, what were some of the benefits that people saw? Well, many monasteries, or places where there were monks, they were classed as centres for missionary training to go out, but also as care for their community by helping with medicine, agriculture, farming and education. And of course many people did indeed achieve a genuine devotion to God, became dedicated to prayer and study of the Bible, all of which were strongly encouraged. And a third and final benefit was that it encouraged a disciplined spiritual lifestyle. That was key and important. However, as well as significant benefits, it also brought with it some severe disadvantages. It meant in many cases that Christians withdrew totally from society and retreating from their local community, 
instead of ministering to and being of encouragement to their community. And then there arose a kind of spiritual elitism. Many joined the monasteries because it became the thing to do. It was the in thing and it was seen as fashionable. It was as if to say, look how good I am by withdrawing from you in order to dedicate my life to prayer and worship. There was also a tendency to wealth and degeneration after the original founders of the monasteries died and many equated spirituality with physical discipline. For example, scripture promotes marriage and the physical side of life as being given by God. It is to be enjoyed rather than nullified and suppressed. That's it for now. Next time in our series AHA, we will look at some of the leaders of the monastic movement. Thanks for listening. Come back to Partakers, www.partakers.co.uk, where every day there is something new to encourage your walk as a Christian in the 21st century. Bye for now.